Hello, people. It's Salman Qureshi, and welcome to the Expat Brat Podcast. Uh, it's a wonderful day, isn't it? You're out and about, and butterflies are flying around your car, making it look like it's spring, where it, it is spring? It is spring. Is it fall? No, it's fall. It doesn't matter. The day is beautiful. You're on your way to meet someone you haven't seen in a long time, and you're just excited about it, and everybody's just, you know... Uh, calling you up to congratulate you on the latest greatest thing you've done in life and uh, it comes with uh, lots of love and money so you can quantify it and (laughs) and you happen to just right now open your phone and there's a text message from your local lottery which you, you didn't even put your name in or buy a ticket for but somehow you've won that's the kind of day I hope you're having. So wonderful. Because um, <clears throat> I, <laughs> cause I, uh, I, I'm having uh, a good day too. Yeah, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, then you know my inner struggles of being uh, trans- transiting from a young, fun, happy guy. I think I've always been nice to people and kind and loving, um, at least in my head. And as I am growing older, I find myself sniping at things or just being more cranky. And I'm really, really trying hard. It's like an inner battle I've got going on where I'm trying not to become an old, angry person who no one wants to be around. Okay? So that's where I'm at. And so I remind myself of all the good things. I like to show gratitude people so much gratitude for everything I have including my short height gratitude god damn it <laughs> sorry did that is it still recording oh sorry um I've been uh I've been sitting back right and I wanted to uh <laughs> I wanted to share some stories from the past because the way I see it again as I grow older I'll probably I'll probably lose some of these stories and memories and everything. And now I've decided this part podcast is part entertainment, part a reminder for me when I get really old to listen back and go, oh, yeah, that did happen in my life. So I don't know who this podcast is for anymore. If you're listening, thank you. Um, well, for me, it's a time capsule thing now as well. All right. So I... um. I don't know how many of you as expat, you know, I, I've grown up as an expat. Uh, I was born in Saudi Arabia and I grew up there and there was, it was a particular weird kind of world. All right. Uh, just so you know, back in the 80s, it was, it was this place that was transitioning and had all kinds of uh, like hypocrisy. I wouldn't, I, I don't want really want to call it hypocrisy because it's, <clears throat> It was it was clear what people wanted, but there was just uh, I don't know what the right word for it is, but there was so much like going on there, you know. There's just this. Uh, it it was like a new country, wasn't it? Even though Saudi Arabia technically has been around for like what a hundred years, hundred plus years, but as a country, you know, they they in the seventies they had lost their king. This progressive guy, King Faisal, who was setting up television and schooling for girls and and along with boys and and all of that stuff and he got shot and obviously the next king coming in 
uh, was a bit more careful. I think it was King Fahad, right? Throughout my uh, time in Saudi, he was the king. <laughs> and, you know, if I was in his place, I, I, I'd do the same. I'd be like, hey, uh, I just want to rule. Uh, I want to enjoy this. He was in his earlier days known as a, a, a playboy or like, ex, you know, uh, like out there because he uh, there's this rumor of him losing millions on poker nights in France or something. Along, the, I was a kid, so, you know, these stories circulated and I don't know if they were made up. There was no WhatsApp, so maybe they were true then. <laughs> if, if there was WhatsApp, I'd be like, definitely not true. Uh, it's just something someone's spreading. But it, it was there, and uh, obviously once he became king, he had to put on this front, or uh, he actually changed, I don't know, you know, who knows what people are like behind closed doors. And um, <clears throat> I think he, he, he titled himself the custodian of the two holy mosques. So it was this kind of like this going back to conservatism after what happened to King Faisal particularly, and I know there are probably other factors, I'm simplifying it, and... A, a, a lot of Western influence. So you had people driving around in Cadillacs, <laughs> you know, Chevys, GMCs, uh, which in, back then were popularly referred to as gyms in, among Saudis. And every Saudi, I think, had one because they had like five wives that they could fit in. Uh, and hey, the stereotypes, I know it sounds like I'm stereotyping Saudis, but at that time it was true, okay? Uh, there were stories, there were neighbors, uh, Saudi neighbors and stuff who would lock their wives up before they went to work, right? So it's not it's not made up that, you know, you have to remember these are newly urbanized people coming from Bedouin stuff. And then on top of it, this religious extremism. So it all combined to create God knows what in people. And so you had this Western influence. You had these movies and music. And I went to a school that was full of Western expats and teachers. And so you had this kind of weird mix of things. And I don't think that kind of time will ever come again for a lot of places. So there I was as a kid growing up. And amongst them, the most uh, <laughs> one of the things that influenced my life, whether I liked it or not, was the existence of the religious police. Da, da, da. Yeah, uh, they were called mutawas. Okay, mutawas were uh, these um, these mostly young guys, I guess, and they were formed. They were like the strict uh, enforcers, and really like what do you call it? Black and white, like you know the the the. Uh, my God, I'm forgetting words. This isn't very exciting to listen to. If I have to pause like an old man every so often and go, I can't remember the word I was trying to say. So, so, so these religious police, they were feared, right? They caused some real fear and, and they had a big influence and I'll tell you why in a bit. Uh, the, the whole thing was they, they were as powerful or more powerful than the police. They were a sister like a, a sister concern, <laughs> not a sister concern, like a parallel enforcer of law, but particularly religious laws, right? So they'd go around in their gyms and these mutawas would, around prayer time, so in Saudi, prayer times happen five times a day. They'd go around making sure the shops were shut down. If you were not walking towards the mosque, if you were you know, in a country where at that time there were probably like 99% Muslims, um, and if you weren't, you got busted 
they take you in and cause a lot of trouble for you, maybe even fine you, jail you. So there was all these kind of things happening. Forget like doing something extremely naughty. Uh, these guys would just clamp down on anything they thought would um, affect your religion. All right. And the first time I was made conscious of them as far as I can remember I was sitting in the back seat of my dad's car we were driving and my dad and my uncles and there were a couple of people in the car my mom and someone mentioned that Michael Jackson this is the 80s yeah Michael uh, around the time Michael Jackson released bad and so this is 1986 or 88 God um, you know when it is you can google that and Michael Jackson was declared banned by the Mutawas. Okay, the Mutawas basically went, they took because they took everything literal, like the religion, they basically said, if Michael Jackson is singing about being bad, then he wants people to be bad. And we can't allow that. Astaghfirullah, uh, the devil, and whatnot. And so his music was banned. And there were other reasons, right? They, they basically claimed that the Saudi youth was being led misled from the path of righteousness by Michael Jackson he was basically uh, getting them to moonwalk towards uh, away from the mosque I suppose in their eyes and uh, yeah, I guess it's true so maybe they were right from their point of view I don't know what do you think <laughs> so so they uh, they banned him and I Michael Jackson meant the world to me at that age and time so because I had just I come back from London. I had his VHS tapes, and I would watch them all over again. I grew up watching Thriller. I was very young. I don't even know why my parent my parents allowed me to watch it because I was so scared of it. I would peek, run away, come back in. <laughs> That's how I watched the Thriller video because it was scary. And uh, but he also like had a big impact on me because I wanted to dance because of Michael Jackson. Right? I loved his music. He made me want to get up and wiggle. Right? Shake that booty. And uh, and and I think in my early life, I was considered a, a decent, good dancer. I don't actually know if I was a good dancer, but because, look, guys, in, look, putting it in context, okay? I'm growing up in Saudi where no one dances. So someone who can wiggle their body a little bit and not look like they're being electrocuted probably stood out, right? I, I was willing to dance. And that made me the top five dancers in Saudi, I guess. Because uh, there were only three, right? And and yeah, so, you know, he had that influence. I was, I, I that news hit me hard. And I, as a kid, I, I didn't know how to process that. Well, what did it mean? Uh, did, you know, <laughs> have I lost Michael Jackson for life? And so those VHS tapes became so dear to me as well. I watched them over and over again. One of them was the making of Thriller. And the other one were all his music videos in a general documentary of his life up until that point. And, and I loved it, right? So it was just exciting. And these guys banned it. They banned the music. They banned replicas of him. Anything, if you looked or imitated, imitating Michael Jackson was banned, all right? That's how hardcore these guys went. They basically wanted to erase him. And a pre-internet world, I guess in some ways it was easier and it was a bit more successful. So while other countries were struggling with smuggling drugs and stuff, we had... Uh, people smuggling Michael Jackson audio tapes. Yeah, so that that, you know, if that doesn't paint a good picture what does, right? That so that that's what made me conscious of 
this whole Mutawa uh, phenomena. And again, it didn't hit me too hard. And then I started hearing stories from my parents and uncles about their experiences. One of them really stood out for me, okay? So one of their modus operandi, if that's how you pronounce it, again, was Mutawas, if they caught you, they'd shave your head off. <laughs> that was one of their punishments, okay? So a lot of people who got busted for doing whatever, you know, if they were being naughty or... They would just claim, hey, I, I went for the holy pilgrimage, the Umrah, the minor pilgrimage. And it's um, it's rewarding to shave your head after that. That was the cover-up. Most people knew you had gone to jail, all right? Uh, and so the Mutawas' punishment would shave your head off. And I had these two uncles <clears throat> who were heading to Mecca. Their story happened in the 70s, okay? And it still makes me laugh. One of them had long hair, you know, like when I say long hair, not like heavy metal long hair, probably till the nape of his neck or something. And the two of them are in the car. They get to the border of Mecca. So, again, for those of you who don't know, uh, because Mecca is a religious city, they have uh, and they have a strict rule about not allowing Muslims in. I, I think they still do have that law. I'm not sure. And so they check you at the border uh, of Mecca before you were let in. They were pulled over and my uncle with the long hair was asked to step into the office, okay? Uh, this is the 70s. They haven't had a lot of experience. They don't know what's going on. My other uncle sat in the car for a while waiting and the time passed by and it went on and on and on and they're like, what's going on? So he walks in to check in on his friend who is having his head shaved and, and sometimes to embarrass you, they'd only shave the middle of your head so you'd have to go to a barber and do the rest. So they were doing that to him, uh, to the uncle with the long hair. But because this other uncle, this friend of his, dared to step in, they said, yep, you too. <laughs> Get on that next seat, on the next chair. And they shaved his head from the middle as well. So they both, for no fault of his, he got roped in and and had to they both had to shave their heads and come back and uh, my uncle uh, my dad and everyone had a laugh at their expense because they got busted right so those were the kind of stories that went around and so you were very careful around them and these are minor uh, punishments i'm sure it, it got brutal sometimes some of them would have whips and stuff and and start hitting you like you were cattle you know so it was it wasn't it wasn't all laughs it was very frustrating that story stuck with me and kind of just, you know, the embarrassment they wanted to cause you was just interesting. Um, I had another family friend's kid who came in through the airport and he told us about how uh, he, he had just come back from the States and he got lectured by one of the Mutawas at the airport who pulled him aside, who saw him. And, and he was like, "Are you, is your name Michael uh, or Jack? Uh, and he's like, no, it's Amir. And he said, well, why do you look like Michael? Uh, and you have long hair and this is not the way of Muslims and stuff. So th they were really, they were like Mormons in a way, right? Like very literal interpretation of everything. And <clears throat> and so he, he remembers just being really worried. For some reason, he they didn't shave his head. Maybe, I don't know, the guy was lazy or they didn't have the facilities at the airport. But he said, like, go in and get your head shaved later, uh, uh, get a haircut later, right? So just really over-parenting, I guess, in a way. And... I had my, my scariest moment then, you know, the real impact of their actions, uh, which I experienced, which really left a huge mark on me, was when in the middle of the night one day, 
well, one night, uh, we're sitting there and we're woken up. We were all asleep, and there's like a little bit of like, um, like just my parents are like running around. All right, there's this like a stressed environment in the house. I have two elder brothers, and they were both out, and uh, my mom was just looking really upset. And my dad was getting ready to leave, and I was like, what's going on? I, I was really young still, you know, like 8, 9, 10 maybe at most. And me and the younger siblings, my sister, me, and my younger brother, we're, we're just like in panic. We're, we're feeling the stress. We're really scared about what's going on. So apparently my brothers were at some party, and there was music, and they got busted by the Mutawas. Dun-dun! And they got, they got you know, they were, I don't know, taken in with a group of friends that were all stuck there. And my dad was rushing over to stop them from punishing them further or something, okay? In that moment, I felt real fear for my brothers. I was too young to comprehend the situation completely, but I was afraid for them. I didn't know what was going to happen to them. And I was, you know, the shaving head thing was in my head. Uh, but more than anything else, you know, I felt so angry and powerless. You know, when you feel powerless, that it creates a sort of anger that is different to any other anger you can ever have. I wanted this to stop. I was just thinking, even as a kid, I was like, these, my, my brothers were just having a bit of fun. You know, that's what young people do. And for them to just climb down, be so, you know, just kind of just like angry about everything that's going around. You can't have that. You can't do that. Nah, 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 nah. It just, that moment was the angriest I've ever felt. I don't, I was afraid for my brothers. I was just worried sick. And it, it still, you know, plays in my mind sometimes when I really think about it. And I don't know what I was more angry about when, when, when they banned Michael Jackson or did, did this to my brother. I'm, I'm being honest. Okay. So it turns out my, my dad rushed in. Uh, he was slightly hooked up. One of my other uh, brother's friend also, uh, his dad showed up. They were both sort of well connected. So they kind of got the Mutawas to agree to not shave their heads, but to just send them to get a haircut. And apparently, like I said, they were just at a party with friends. There was music. There was a guitar. <gasps> oh, dear Lord. There was a guitar of the devil's instrument. And, and my brothers told me later, they asked. It was a friend's guitar. And they, gave, they handed it to my second eldest brother, Sammy, and said, break it. Break it in front of us. And so he kind of tapped it slightly on the floor and said, uh, yeah, it's gone. It's ruined now. And they said, no, break it into pieces. And so he looked at his friend who said, yeah, go ahead, man. We can't do anything about this. It was probably obviously a, an acoustic uh, guitar for it to break. And so he had to smash it, which is kind of cool. You know, if you think about it, in their haste to punish my brother and their friends, they kind of created a heavy metal rock concert moment where my brother's like slamming a guitar onto the floor, smashing it. So the irony of it, right? <laughs> probably. And he still had his long hair. No, actually. So he my elder brother, Fahad, was the one with the long hair. Uh, and they made both of them get a haircut. Same thing like my uncle. It's like one of them was just stuck because he was there. And they both had to cut their hair short, right? It was uh, hilarious later. Um, and, you know, the next morning, I really, I, I just hugged them because I, I remember just being upset about it. And we laughed at it later. But, it, it you know, in, in those moments are when you really realize what dumb people can do. So those those that one really left a mark, you know. And I remember one of my closest encounters was around prayer time. We'd be out playing football or cricket. 
and sunset would happen and that's the time for the Maghrib prayer and you had to scram right <clears throat> and one of our games went over and we had to rush and suddenly we saw the GMCs the gyms coming with the mutawas and we're like run so everyone scrambled out away I hid between with a friend between these two this small alleyway between two buildings and I just held my breath it was like a war zone situation right and the enemy soldiers are there and you just, I just stood there because I was like, oh, if we get busted, I don't know what's going to happen. And the GMC slowed down around where we were hiding. And, and for a second, I thought, that's it. I'm done. I'm gone. And they, one of them got off and I was like, okay, I'm going to have my moment too. But for whatever reason, he got back in and moved off. They moved on. And, and me and my friend, I still, like we were, you know, it sounds silly, but we were panicked as hell. Our heart was like racing like Usain Bolt's speed or something you know and and that's the kind of stuff that just made me go why is this happening why is this place like this now recently I've heard you know in recent years they first reduced their powers and now they've completely stripped them off and I think now they're done I don't think they exist anymore if I'm correct especially with the way they're trying to open up and tourism and everything but that was what it was like you know everyone had a story about some kind of encounter I had smaller encounters too like another one which really angered me this one was um this was this one plays out to more of the hypocrisy with it I was walking I had this fat silver chain I was like you know the deal <laughs> this is when I was like 16 17 I was trying to be cool I had an earring you know anything to kind of um uh, stand up against the establishment or whatever, right? So I'm there, I'm doing all this. I'm walking on the street with my friends, and this Cadillac guy in a Cadillac pulls over right next to us, rolls down his window, bam, mutawa, right? He looks at me and he starts lecturing me how a chain is not something men wear, and that those who wear it are wearing the ring of fire around them, and you're not Bob or Michael, this is an American thing. And he lectures. Luckily, he didn't see the earring because I was just like uh, facing him. It was on my left ear. So I kind of just positioned myself so he can't see that side. I was just like, I don't want him catching that. That'll just blow his roof off or something. And he lectures me. And the whole time, like he goes off. First of all, I'm like, you know, you feel like a kid, like someone standing and lecturing you about this stuff. So you're angry about that. And then it hits me. I'm like, he's lecturing me about all this Western influence. And he's driving a Cadillac. All right, or a Chevrolet. I can't remember. Oh, sorry, it was a Chevrolet. And I, I'm just, I'm just thinking, dude, do you not realize your own hypocrisy? It just really just pissed you off, right? So those kind of things left me um, wanting to get out and uh, just being really angry at them all the time, and just knowing that we were powerless and. You know, you're bringing in movies smuggled in, uh, audio cassettes smuggled in. It was just a crazy world where two powerful forces were colliding against each other. And in the middle was just us young kids growing, wanting to grow up and have some fun. And we were stuck in between that. And that's why I have a hard time when people talk about banning things or being extra strict. Even when I disagree or I know it might be dangerous, it's just, it's still a hard one because that, that left a huge thing on my head about it. That's it. That Now you know my psyche, why it's like what it is, okay? And those are stories. And if you ask anyone who grew up around that time, I guarantee, you know, they'll all have a story. Except for my friends who lived in these expat compounds, especially the Saudi city compound. It was heaven 
on earth <laughs> for anyone growing up there because you knew the mutawas didn't come in there they weren't allowed and so everybody was much more free women drove they didn't wear abayas it was just like a whole different world right and something you aspired to <laughs> as a kid on the outside if i made friends inside saudi city because i could say i'm gonna go in and see them and i get to experience this freedom right <laughs> that's the state of mind we had so, yeah, everyone else probably did have a story. And that is my life in Saudi with the Mutawas, man. Um, <laughs> some great times, I guess. Some great memories. Anyway, I got to run. I got more stuff to do, more butterflies to see as I drive through the streets. And I hope uh, you guys have a great uh, few days ahead. Till next time, guys. Take care. Bye. Or as a dog would say, woof.